Welcome to the teaching ministry of Faith Bible Church. We pray as you listen to the following message, you will be encouraged and equipped to passionately pursue Christ. For more information, please visit our website at fbcevansville.com. Part of the issue was that the teaching, the, the superstition at that time, was that demons could attach themselves to the food, and the easiest way for demons to get into the people was that they would be eaten and then be assimilated into the person's life and body. That was the thinking. So that part of the purification process was the sacrificial offering. Now, that could be helpful in understanding why people had such a problem with these pieces of meat that had been charred and grilled before going to the marketplace. Now, we talked about liberty and the freedom that we have in Christ, unfortunately for some people, having one of two ditches. In one ditch, people would fall into legalism, and they would put forth a whole bunch of rules. And some of us have been in churches that were like that. They added rules by which you could be assured that you were right with God through your works. Well, the other ditch is one of license, where people would say, hey, I'm totally forgiven. Christ has made me free. If I sin, it's no big deal. And they forsake holiness. Now, I'm not... Um, many times in my lessons, I use current cultural references. For example, much to the light of Joe Maynard, today I'm going to be referring to songs written by Elvis Costello and Bob Dylan, and he's back there smiling. <laughs> But I'm also going, now, by the way, some of those songs are a little raucous. Don't, don't take that as my encouragement for you to listen to that or to ascribe to those lyrics. It's just an illustration. But there's also another contemporary illustration that's very important that some of you may watch in your liberty, The Bachelorette. Well, there is a young woman by the name of Hannah Brown. She is the star of the current series on The Bachelorette. And she recently said that she was a Christian, and she bragged about how she uh, has premarital sex, and it's no big deal. Wow. Well, Luke Parker is another Bible-believing Christian that's on the show. He's a man that's one of the bachelors. And he has a difficulty with that. Parker said that he would like to be sent home if he learned that she had had sex with some of these other bachelors. So he began the conversation with her. So let's talk about sex and how the marriage bed should be kept pure. And Parker is a aficionado of a Christian athlete, Tim Tebow. And he said to her that I realized that I wasn't the man I wanted to be and I've been working on being a husband that I wanted to be for my future wife. Parker's desire to be a good husband has not gone over well with the audience who has accused him of toxic masculinity, gaslighting, and slut-shaming. On Monday night's episode, Brown essentially denounced Parker's view with feminist talking points. I don't owe you anything. And guess what? A man does not control anything I do. When she spoke with Entertainment Tonight about her views on Christ, she said that it boils down to a personal relationship with Jesus without accountability. So here you have license and a total misunderstanding of the freedom we have in Christ. Okay? And, you know, these things happen within the church. So the study of the letters to the Corinthian church are very applicable for what we're doing today. Now, why are we doing a topical study on letters to troubled churches? Well, those of us who bear the name of our Savior love his people. They love the church. The familial bond of affection goes beyond the four walls of any congregation, which is why if you travel, as the Galants are going to travel to deepest, darkest New Zealand, and we'll be praying for them in a moment, they may meet Christians from a totally different culture, maybe a different language, who love Christ. And there will be fellowship there. 
one of the responsibilities of those in leadership is to keep watch not only over our own hearts but also over issues that may be impacting the church. So Paul's letter to the believers in Corinth reflects that very passion. The timeless nature of God's words enables us to benefit from the collected writings which are sufficient for all life and godliness. And as we look around today, the people of God wrestle with various issues that are right out of the pages of Holy Writ. To that end, Paul's letter to the Corinthians serves as a helpful diagnostic and healing tool by which we confront ourselves and alter the course of our lives for his glory and his honor. So, to do an expositional study of the letters to the Corinthians would take much more than the 13 weeks that the elders, you know, reluctantly allow me to speak. <laughs> no, I'm, I'm kidding. Uh, but to be transparent, we're going to be talking about the problems that the Corinthians had with authority. It's not only because I see the church at large, wrestling with and wrangling with the issue, but because I too have to get my heart in submission to our Lord on this topic. Having been raised in a home where mom and dad were capricious, inconsistent, and self-contradictory, I find myself at times reacting from a guttural emotional response rather than, which, rather than one which, over decades, has been informed by the Word of God to shape my thinking by the power and work of the Holy Spirit. So, armed with God's promises to bring all of His children to maturity and conformity to the image of His beloved Son, today we're going to tackle the issues surrounding authority. Now, if you turn in your copy of God's Word to 1 Corinthians chapter 4, we'll look at verse 1. Now, like the idea in the, in the issue of wisdom, the wisdom of the world and the wisdom of God, throughout all of the letter to the Corinthians, this issue of authority and how we respond to authority is throughout the entire letter to the believers in Corinth and to us today. So I'm going to read a few verses starting with verse 1. Let a man regard us in this manner as servants of Christ and stewards of the mystery of God. In this case, moreover, it is required of stewards that one be found trustworthy. But to me, it is a very small thing that I may be examined by you or by any human court. In fact, I do not even examine myself, for I am conscious of nothing against myself, yet I am not by this acquitted. But the one who examines me is the Lord. Therefore, do not go on passing judgment before the time, but wait until the Lord comes, who will bring to light the things hidden in the darkness and disclose the motives of men's hearts. And then each man's praise will come to him from God. And then he goes into a description of how Apollos came along. And this issue of authority is found throughout the remainder of the letters. Well, let's after that lengthy introduction, <laughs> let's pray. Father, I thank you for this time. I thank you for your word. I thank you for your goodness. Lord, we do pray that you would give us the mind of Christ, who illustrated his submission to you, and also his humble servanthood, serving us as he subjected himself to authority, cause us to examine our hearts, and Lord, I pray that you would use this time to purge from us the rebellion that's still within our hearts, the influences of our culture, that we would walk in a way that is circumspect and honoring to you, to you alone. Lord, we do pray for the Galantes they travel. Pray that you would keep them safe. Thank you that they have this opportunity to visit Ben and Shashmita and the boys. Lord, I pray that you would give them a great time of fellowship and enjoyment. And we thank you for your, your commitment to us in giving us your holy word, your spirit, and the desire to honor you. We praise you in your son's name. Amen. So, first question I need to ask is this. 
What were the problems that resulted in a loss of appreciation, respect, and honor of Paul and his authority? Come on, you Bible scholars. Hit me with your best shot here. Paul's teaching? Yeah. There were other people who were denigrating what Paul was doing, what he was saying, who he was. What else? What else was eroding this positive, good relationship with Paul? Judaizers. Judaizers, yes. These false teachers who said Paul's not teaching the entire law. He's teaching this license that's not honoring to God at all. You know, so we have a number of things that were issues. One was distance and time. Absence makes the heart grow fonder in some instances, but in many instances, absence can make the heart to wander. And, you know, you've had relationships like that where over time you may have moved or changed location and you just lost contact with people. And maybe they weren't keeping in contact with you. You might have been tempted to think, oh, they, they really don't care about me. Well, they, they might care about you the same, but, you know, they've got distracted with other things, just like you and I do, right? And that happens. So there's distance in time. Plus, there's the issue of drift, which is a real issue. If you turn to 2 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 3 and 4, you'll see Paul saying, your minds will be led astray from the simplicity and purity of devotion to Christ. For if one comes and preaches another Jesus, whom we have not preached, or you receive a different spirit, which you have not received, or a different gospel, which you have not accepted, you bear this beautifully. Like Rick Berger was saying, there were other people coming in and influencing. They were abandoning and in danger of abandoning the gospel and Christ himself. They were using the inadequate wisdom of this age and not the wisdom of God. Another thing that causes this division is change. They begin to question Paul's integrity because of a change in schedule. In 2 Corinthians chapter 1 and verse 17, you'll find that the, some of the Corinthians were upset because Paul had originally planned to come visit them, and then in God's providence, he could not. And so people said, well, if they're going to change schedule, then, you know, I'm not certain I love Paul anymore. Now, we have to admit sometimes we're that petty. We have to admit that if somebody changes our plans, we're a little miffed. Anybody honest enough to admit that? Yeah. I see some sheepish hands going up. Yeah. Yeah. Another very critically influential issue was the matter of opponents. These opponents came in, and some were not opponents at all. But they were people who had a different style, a different presentation, a different eloquence than that which Paul had. But there were some who mentioned, like mentioned before, Judaizers who really were antagonistic against Paul. And some of them denigrated his meekness and his gentleness. Instead of being bold and boastful, Paul was meek and gentle, relying on the Spirit of God to do the work. He wasn't relying on his eloquence and polished speaking. He wanted the power and the glory to go to God and the gospel alone. <clears throat> there were some of these opponents who questioned his apostleship. They question as to whether or not he was a real apostle. And this is the man who had spent how many months? How many months did Paul spend with them? Anybody remember? Yeah, 18 months. It was about a year and a half. And he poured out his life. You know, he started by working, you know, with Priscilla and Aquila, making tents, and then he got some extra funding from outside, and he was able to devote his full time to this body of believers. You know? He calls them brothers. He calls them beloved. There's a relationship there. But that change of church dynamics 
you know, that change of, of time and the, and the accusations and the, and the sly insinuations of those who were his opponents, who wanted to puff themselves up, eroded that relationship. There were also some questions that they raised about his commendations, and so they wanted proof. So these other people coming along and visiting the church, these itinerant preachers, maybe they were sophists, the ones who were peddling their wisdom. Right? Remember the word sophist? It was a class of teachers, and that's where we get the word sophistry from. You know, this puffed up so-called wisdom and knowledge. Well, they came with letters. They came with letters that saying, I just came from Galatia. And here's a letter talking about how wonderful I am. <clears throat> and Paul didn't have those. And so they said, well, you know, if he wasn't known, well, the fact of the matter, he was there for how long? 18 months, right? <laughs> they were his letters of commendation. And Paul goes into that later. All right? There's another issue in that they questioned his use of collected funds. Matter of fact, in the latter letter, Paul sends beloved brethren, faithful brethren, men who they knew to help them realize that he's not going to abscond with their money. He's not going to run away with it. There were faithful men who were going to take charge of it. He was not going to rip them off. But some people question his use of collected funds. And finally, these opponents question his apostolic authority. <clears throat> Second Corinthians 11.6 says this, But even if I am unskilled in speech, yet I am not so in knowledge. In fact, in every way, I, we have made this evident to you in all things. They despised his speech, even though they benefited from it, the acts of an apostle were committed in your presence, he says later. He had the attesting signs and wonders, right? And that's what the whole purpose of the signs and wonders was. It wasn't to puff one up, and that's a mistake that these false teachers would use down the road. But it was to show that the teaching was accurate. And it was truthful. <clears throat> but the opponents would do it. Now, there's another very important contribution to this erosion of the fidelity, the relationship, the love, the honor, the respect that the Corinthians had for Paul. And it was the effects and the impact of the culture. Paul faced strong opposition from paganism, secularism, immorality, and idolatry. The Greco-Roman society impinged upon the Corinthian congregation with the influence of these sophists, patronage, immorality, education, social standing, and leadership. These sophists, these false teachers, seem to have had a significant influence on the opposition with regard to rhetoric, how Paul's speech was understood and appreciated, division, boasting, and status. But interestingly, and here's the key, Interestingly, according to the customs of that day, teachers had to be paid for their services. If, you refused, if a teacher refused to take money, what do you think the conclusion could be? If a teacher refused to take your money for their service. Say what? Yeah. They're going to start questioning the validity, the accuracy, the, the, the benefit of these the content that these teachers offer. They could come to the conclusion that if you refuse to take the money, your work was inferior and not worthy of pay. So, I think that they were the ones who coined the phrase, you get what you pay for. No, I have no idea. I'm just saying this off the top of my head. No idea. <clears throat> the congregation was perhaps offended by Paul's refusal, especially when they noticed that these men came along and they said, hey, Paul, the church from over there, they have this, here, we love you, we want you to have, and they may have gotten offended by that. We don't know exactly, but because of the culture of the day, it's very probable. Second Corinthians chapter 1 and verse 17, 
Paul said, did I commit a sin by humbling myself so that you may be exalted because I preached the gospel of God to you without charge? Right? 2 Corinthians 12, 13, same idea. For in what respect were you treated as inferior to the rest of the churches, except that I myself did not become a burden to you? Forgive me this wrong. They felt that he did not give them the respect that they deserved. Oh, you're not charging me? Oh, you must think that I'm impoverished and, and not able to pay you. Now, we have to take a moment here and ask a question. Are there times when we may have equivalent problems today? Whereas if you don't receive a certain degree of attention, contact from a leader, from someone in authority. You know, do you do you find that your your heart is being tempted to discount, despise, not appreciate that individual? Well, maybe the pastor didn't visit me enough. Maybe he didn't call me. Maybe I didn't get a, a card on my birthday from them. You know, maybe I'm not that important. I think that we can have that same problem today. Dan, it's, it's ironic. The opposite of that happens, I think, too much, where the leadership of the church feels obligated to reach out, send that card, or be aware of, of our feelings. Yeah. Dan is, Dan is saying that there can be that unrealistic expectation which puts an unnecessary burden upon leadership to do that. And there, there are people who do need more attention and more hand-holding than others. <clears throat> you know, sometimes it's the way we're built. But the goal of our maturity is not to be so focused upon our own needs, our own felt needs, but to look out for the needs of others and to serve others and not expect that everybody's going to serve and worship me the way I serve and worship myself, right? Yeah, Philippians 2.4, exactly, right. So what was the result of the accusation, slander, and partisan spirit? You know, what, was the, <clears throat> what, was the, what was the result of that? Well, the result was the Corinthians restrained their love to Paul. 2 Corinthians 6, 11 through 13. They were restrained in their love for Paul. And Paul's talking about that in 2 Corinthians 6, right in the middle of this great discourse on reconciliation. We're reconciled with God. We should be reconciled to each other. You know, be at peace with me. And so he is bringing up these things to do that. So, why do we have problems with authority today? What are the things that erode our obedience to Christ in this regard? Okay, so fallen leadership or imperfect leadership or leadership that doesn't meet our expectations. Good. What else? I'm sorry? Self-righteousness. Oh my goodness, yes. There's this incipient pride that can just spoil any relationship, never mind that of you know, us to any authority. What else? I'm sorry, say it again, please. It's a general lack of respect for authority. General lack of respect for authority that permeates us, our culture. Yes, Dan, you were going to say? What if they're pointing out my fault? <clears throat> oh, yeah. Sorry about that. I, uh, I touched the uh, microphone. I shouldn't touch the microphone. Sorry, Clay. <laughs> I have to pay attention to my authority in the sound booth. <laughs> 
And now I lost my train of thought. For pointing out my faults, thank you. <clears throat> yeah, you know, it's like the uh, it's like the story that's told of the little old lady. No offense to the little old ladies among us. I love you all. <clears throat> who was in a revival, and the man, you know, at the pulpit was preaching against the sins of miniskirts, and she said, "Amen, brother." And then he talked about the sins of drunkenness. Amen, preach it. And the sins of chewing tobacco. And she said, oh, now you're meddling. <laughs> now, if you have a can of skulls in your hip pocket, we'll talk later. No. <laughs> Remember the whole lesson on liberty and freedom? If, if that speaks to you, let it. Uh, our hearts are proud. Our hearts are proud. Even when authority is exercised in an appropriate way, we naturally desire to rule ourselves. In our pride, we think we know best. Therefore, being required to submit to a government, a parent, a husband, church leader, feels humiliating. And so we bristle against authority. Where did it have its origin? In the garden. It had this, this problem of our heart had origin in the garden and in the fall. And Adam and Eve were presented with the temptation to eat from the knowledge of good and evil. They had a crisis of authority. God had spoken clearly, asserted his authority. He had forbidden them to eat, but they failed to resist temptation. Given the opportunity to throw off the shackles of God's law, follow their own desires, thus installing themselves as their highest authority, they jumped in with both feet. And now our feet are caught in the ringer because of that. And so are our hearts. We have an inadequate respect, love, and understanding of God and who he is. The Bible is clear that all authority is established by God. The authority of God's word is being undermined today even by those who, in the past, were seen as reliable. People have jumped into the red-letter notion that they can pick and choose what is authoritative and what part of the Bible Jesus would stand behind. I just posted something this morning concerning Andy Stanley. And if you're not familiar with that, uh, I would encourage you to talk to me later because we need to be careful of those who stand in the place of speaking on God's behalf and who instead undermine God's authority. That great quote from Al Mohler there, for the Bible tells me so, biblical authority denied, is a reference to that very issue. Well, let's talk about some biblical examples very quickly. We have, um, we have 1 Samuel 15, 23, because... Rebellion is as the sin of what? Witchcraft. Witchcraft. Divination. Insubordination is, an, is as iniquity and idolatry. Ephesians 6.1 clearly tells children, God's command to children, to obey your parents. Reminiscent of which commandment? What number? Honor your parents. It's not the third. It's the only commandment with promise, right? Romans 13.1, every person to be in subjection to the governing authorities. Colossians 3.18, the favorite verse of my wife, wives be in subject to your husband as is fitting with the Lord. Colossians 3, the favorite verse of all uh, people who report at work to a boss, whatever you do, with all, do it with all your heart as working for the Lord, not for human masters, since you know you will receive an inheritance from the Lord. 2 Timothy 3.1 describes our problem. In latter days, difficult times will come. Men will be lovers of self, lovers of money, boastful, arrogant, revilers, disobedient to parents. All right? And it goes on. Hebrews 13 plainly says, God's word commands us to obey our leaders, submit to them, for they keep watch over your souls as those who give an account. Let them do this with joy and not with grief, for that would be unprofitable. 2 Peter 2, verse 7, very plainly talking about God's command, <clears throat> excuse me, for those, God's warning against those who are self-willed, verse 10, they don't tremble when they revile angelic majesties and the punishment thereby. So, we have um, all of this, of course, is provisional. We are to obey God rather than man. We're, we're, we know that. We're, 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 we're cognizant of the Acts 5 passage. But 
another problem is this, that human authority is often abused and misused. Now, to the point where, you know, while we know that a huge portion of world's government are corrupt, husbands can be cruel to their wives, parents can abuse their children and lack personal moral character, church leaders sometimes manipulate and harm the congregation that they're called a shepherd. You know, part of the problem with the church and Christians with regard to authority is that <clears throat> church leaders have, unfortunately, fallen and not been perfect. You know, it, it came to the point where in the 19th century, and there's a great quote there by Muller again, the whole idea of church discipline just began to erode. And instead, there became this rise and this recognition of this autonomous moral individualism so that churches would not practice the authority that God rightly gave us to help our brothers and sisters flee from sin and to fear God. It's a key issue. So, another aspect of why we today have a problem is our culture. Our culture is an issue. You ever see the bumper sticker that says question authority? Oh, yeah. You ever wonder, well, why are you telling me what to do? Says who? Who, should, who says I should question authority? <clears throat> you know, dare to speak the truth to power. You know, Spread anarchy. Yeah? Don't tell me what to do. <clears throat> you know, it's self-contradictory, but our culture is like that. And now, <clears throat> um, there's a quote by Martin Luther there. And this is, this is important. <clears throat> Martin Luther is attributed to say, if I profess with the loudest voice and clearest exposition every portion of the truth of God, except it's precisely that little point which the world and the devil are at the moment attacking, I am not confessing Christ. However, uh, boldly I may be professing Christ. Where the battle rages, there the loyalty of the so soldier is provided. And to be steady on the battlefield, besides, is merely a, fight, a flight and disgrace if he flinches at that point. So we are under obligation to be plain spoken about our heart problem with authority and the remnant of sin that rests within our breasts. But there is the cultural influence as well. To that point, we're going to listen to a number of very short clips, songs that reflect this rebellion against authority. <clears throat> Again, this is not a, a commendation of these songs or the artists. It's just an illustration. So, gentlemen in the back, if you would start the music, please. I see some of you tapping your feet. And the song that children sing at the end of school. We don't need no education. With apologies to all you teachers. We don't need no cause control. But again, it reflects the heart. Say what? No dark yeah. sarcasm in the classroom. Teacher, leave them kids alone. Then Clayton Sharp's favorite group, the Beastie Boys. Actually, I don't think it's good. I'll get out of my home if you don't cut that hair. Your mom busted in and said, what's that noise? Oh, mom, you're just jealous. It's the Beastie Boys. And even songs from the 60s. This song terrifies from people senators, in power. senators, congressmen, please heed the call. <laughs> Don't stand in the doorway, don't lock up the hall For he that gets hurt will be he who has stalled 
The battle outside raging We'll soon shake your windows and rattle your walls For the times they are a-changing Elvis Costello, who looked like he came out of the 50s, had this song. You better listen to the voice of reason But they don't give you any choice Cause they think that it's treason And a very popular song that you probably all know Life is unfair. And then, of course, the song from. There we go. Don't know it You know all these songs? But you know. And then the uh, prophet of New York City, Billy Joel. Now, it's not just songs in the last few decades, but here's something from the 60s. Sister up here is singing along. Like these songs. We'll have to talk later. Then, of course, chairman of the board. For what is a man? What has he got? If not himself, then he has not to say the things he truly feels. I hate this part of the song. the song was uh, Dee Snyder and his very oddly dressed That's enough. Let's, let's, let's kill the sound. That's fine. Yeah, that's I'm sorry? Is it okay what? If you can't sit still. <laughs> I think, you know, we have been impacted by these songs. We have been impacted by our culture. And again, this is not, you know, I just use this as an illustration. I'm not encouraging us to, you know, adopt the attitude, ape the attitude, but this, this individualism, this rampant pride that we have is fed by these things so that you know we need to be we need to be careful about what we put into our head um, Joel you had your hand up were you going to say something yeah yeah there are there are additional lyrics I, as you can see I only had time for so much here well, how does Joel know that was on? Well, 
Joe, so Joel is saying that he knew the other words concerning uh, moms and dad in Bob Dylan's song. Uh, he sang that in front of his mom and dad, and his mom and dad heard that and walked out. Uh, but, you know, it's not just Joel that has this rebellious heart that, you know. <laughs> you might think that, but it's, it's incipient to each one of us. You know, we want what we want, and we want, we want it. Yeah, exactly. And we want it now. So there's also a cultural misunderstanding that respect is earned. That respect is earned. And that's, you may have heard that, you may have said that. First Peter 2, verse 18 through 20. God in his wisdom through Peter gives us this statement. Servants, be submissive to your masters with all respect. Not only to those who are good and gentle, those who earned it, but also to those who are unreasonable. So we need to fight against that. There's a great quote here. I'm going to read this from Moeller. Swimming against the tide is tiresome, and it is intellectually demanding, he said. Going with the flow of the dominant culture is the easiest option. But this is not an option for living sacrifices. We must stand on biblical truth, reason through the complexities of thought, and outthink the opposition. We are to have the mind of Christ, and it certainly requires us to think. The anti-intellectualism of contemporary evangelicism has led to nothing less than unconditional surrender. We have left generations of young Christians unequipped for the battle of the mind, and the losses are staggering. So, what's the remedy? What's the remedy? What is the remedy to this rebellion against authority, against authority that God has raised up, this resentment against the authorities God has given us at the home, at the job, at church. What is the remedy? I was hoping you'd tell me. Belief in God. What else? Humility. What else? Submission. Well, let's, let's, let's think of a few things, all right? Because I think it, this will be helpful for us. Hebrews 13, 7 is a very helpful passage that I encourage you. Let's turn there. Let's turn there because I think this, this, answers, this section answers a whole bunch of, of, of this question of how we remedy this, this natural problem that we have with authority. Hebrews 3, 13, 7. Remember those who led you, who spoke the word of God to you, and considering the result of their conduct, imitate their faith. Jesus Christ is the same yesterday and today and forever. You see how, you see how true doctrine is woven in with our behavior? Do not be carried away by varied and strange teachings, for it is good for the heart to be strengthened by grace, not foods, through which those who were so occupied were not benefited. We have an altar from which those who serve the tabernacle have no right to eat. For the bodies of the animals whose blood is brought into the holy place by the holy priest as an offering for sin are burned outside the camp. Therefore, Jesus also, that he might sanctify the people through his own blood, suffered outside the gate. So, let us go out to him outside the camp bearing his reproach. For here we do not have a lasting city, but we are seeking the city which is to come. Through him, then, let us continually offer up a sacrifice of praise to God, that is, the fruit of lips that give thanks to his name, and do not neglect doing good and sharing, for which such sacrifices God is pleased. Obey your leaders and submit to them, for they keep watch over your souls as those who will give an account. Let them do this with joy and not with grief, for this would be unprofitable for you. Pray for us, for we are sure that we have a good conscience desiring to conduct ourselves honorably in all things. So the first thing, the first thing that's mentioned actually twice in this passage is to be thankful remembering how we benefited from authority. Verse 7, we are commanded to remember and not be forgetful. We are to be thankful, verse 15, give thanks to his name. Verse 16, <clears throat> and we are to share 
with others. You know, if you go to 1 Corinthians 9, Paul said we are to share physical things with those for whom we have received spiritual benefit. So that if you are under the preaching of the word and someone is caring for you, you should not feel resentful or jealous that they are able to spend their time in the Word of God and study of the Word of God and to be able to minister to other people. We're to be thankful for that. Next very important point that the writer to the Hebrews reminds us of is that we are to consider Jesus. If you look at these passages, you have to say, well, well hold it. Why would considering Jesus help us if we struggle with those in authority? His example. What, what example? He did what the Father said, right? He did the will of the Father, Hebrews 10, 7. What else? His humility, right? His faithfulness in the midst of the things he suffered, Hebrews 5, 8. He learned obedience from the things he suffered. <clears throat> what, about, what about the Philippians passage that our sister referred to earlier? Philippians 2, 8. He submitted himself to corrupt, evil, wicked authorities. To honor God for our benefit. One crucially important tool our Lord has given us is that we are to remember Christ who submitted himself to flawed authorities. Well, I read the passage from 1 Peter 2.18. Yes. But wasn't he ultimately submitting to God? Yes, he was. That was the first thing. He was submitting to God. Even though he was submitting to evil authorities. Uh-huh. He was following God's plan. He was following God. He submitted himself to the Father's will. He submitted himself to the Incarnation. He submitted himself to humility under the tutelage of his parents. And he continued to grow. And even when, during the crucifixion, he submitted himself, did not open his mouth in return, right? There was no deceit found in his mouth. God doesn't primarily encourage us to obey human authority because it is worthy of our, of our respect in and of itself. Instead, he roots his commands in his own authority. So, we are to obey our leaders in our jobs, our churches, our government, because God has established it. When we show respect to political leaders, even though we may not be thrilled with our current political leader, that means we don't call him Cheeto Head, and we don't call the previous president names, but instead we're commanded to do what? Honor, Honor and submit and Pray for them, right? We also need to be not be so readily self-focused on ourselves, our preferences, our problems. If you look at Hebrews 13 there, that passage I had us turn to, <clears throat> we're going to continue to offer up a sacrifice of praise to God and not neglect doing good and sharing. Sometimes we focus on our own problems and recognize that God has called us to not focus on ourselves, to trust Him and to serve others. We are to be obedient to God next and learn to trust his authority. Hebrews 13, 17 says um, that we are to submit to them as those who give an account. And it is good that God runs the universe and you and I don't. We lack the wisdom, power, and knowledge to order the world. God does not. So we learn to trust and honor him. He has promised that he has instituted authority for our benefit. And so finally, we are to pray for those in authority. So, let's resolve to be people who honor those who are in authority over us. Let our comments about our church, job, or political leaders be seasoned with the respect for the authority God has given them. Let's res speak respectfully of and to our parents, church leaders, husbands, and all those whom God has established as authority in our lives. Show respect to them before they earned it and see how it affects them. I hope you'll be pleasantly surprised. Let's ask for God's help in respecting the authorities in our lives, especially those for whom we find distasteful. Any other comments, questions, rebuttals? Yes. They are asking 
against God's teaching to us. We respectfully do not. Yeah, the, uh, the, sister is, the sister is reminding us of the Acts 5 passage that we will obey God rather than man, and we will do it in a way that is respectful. Um, you know, I can do no other, right? Yes? We are healed. Yes. Excellent. Excellent. Our brother is saying uh, off mic that we need to let the gospel drive our emotions, our responses, and our thinking. And uh, next week he's going to begin the class and speak for 15 minutes on this topic. Because so. <laughs> we love because we love and appreciate him. All right. Well, let's pray and we'll gather together with the rest of God's people in this local fellowship to sing praises to his name, to listen to the word taught, and to bind our hearts in obedience to Christ's authority. Let's pray. Father, I thank you for your goodness to rebellious, recalcitrant, stubborn, proud sinners such as me. Oh Lord, I pray that you would, by your gospel, capture our hearts, that we would not think it an onerous task but that instead we would seek to reflect the ministry, the character, the person of our Lord by being submissive and honoring you. Help us to wrestle with these things. Help us to not be callous. And we thank you for the opportunity to sing with your people, to offer up great songs of praise to encourage and edify the saints and to bring you glory and honor. We thank you through your Son who gives us that privilege and the ability to come boldly before you. Amen. Amen.